0: Hello, I'm Yechan Kim, and this is the first ever episode of our podcast, The Crusoe, presented to you by The Robinson Review and YK Company. So before we start, I think I can briefly explain to you guys why I named this podcast The Crusoe and um, what our aim here um, in this podcast is. And as you may already know, The Robinson Crusoe's story is so famous that I feel like I don't really have to explain it. But to just give you a brief explanation of what it is, it's about um, the character Robinson Crusoe being in a desert island where he has to survive alone. And in that process, he's able to gain some valuable knowledge. And um, here in this podcast, I'm trying to do a similar thing under our organization, The Robinson Review. And since the purpose of The Robinson Review is to pursue uh, professional journalism and writing, as well as uh, foster new... Uh, New generations of learners. Uh, I thought this podcast um, and naming it The Crusoe would be appropriate, and you know, I thought it would be a cool one. So, um, and some of my friends mentioned it uh, along the way as well. They've always suspected that The Robinson Review was named after The Robinson Crusoe, so that's why I decided to name the podcast The Crusoe. And um, so, what we're going to do in this podcast is um, we're going to invite guests every week. Um, sometimes I'm going to be alone, but uh, for example, today it's our first episode, so I decided to host it alone, but we're going to have guests, um, some people, um, just students, some are experts in uh, various fields, and I'm going to have conversations with them on their knowledge, and um, I'm going to ask some relevant questions and have you know a productive conversation with them. And the topic today um, for the podcast I'm hosting alone is the New World Order. And you may think that the World Order was set after World War II, which is uh, quite an accurate evaluation. But the thing I'm trying to talk about here today is the New World Order um, under American leadership and how it has been challenged over the years by China and um, various international events. The unrest in regions such as the Middle East, as well as the unrest inside American politics and um, the American society. So that's going to be our topic. And um, the first thing I want to start talking about is American politics. The reason why I'm starting off our discussion with American politics is because American politics has been um, in a quite chaotic situation over the years. And this um, happened mostly after um, the 2016 presidential election, uh, where Donald J. Trump was elected um, against Hillary Clinton. And um, that's the thing I want to talk about first. But uh, before that, we should talk about um, a few characters, a few uh, personalities in U- U.S. politics. And the two characters or personalities are Biden and Trump. Uh, Joe Biden is the current incumbent president. He, is, he has been the president since the 2020 election where Donald J. Trump lost um, after his mishandling of the COVID-19 pandemic. And Donald J. Trump, as uh, obviously you may know, he is a successful businessman, uh, but at the same time, he was the president from 2016 to 2020 uh, for the United States of America. So, um They're the two most prominent figures in American politics at this point, um, despite their age. And uh, that's one of the concerns, especially for Biden, because he's almost at the age of retirement. Uh, He should have retired many years ago. He could have retired, but he is currently around the age of 80, while Donald J. Trump is also reaching his um, his late 70s. So the two personalities and figures are still prominent in US politics, but they are um, on their exit and they are on their way towards um, the end of their dominance. But the thing I want to talk about here is how Joe Biden handled the global inflation crisis and how before that uh, Donald J. Trump handled the uh, global pandemic. And um, to start off, I think we can talk about Donald J. Trump and Donald J. Trump, as we know, um, was a successful businessman and he was, um, he came in, uh, many expected that he would fail big and it would be a major hit towards his business career. But as we've seen, um, his political career has also been quite successful with his presidency and, uh, what, what kind of a, uh, fandom he's been able to achieve in his, um, dominance. And, uh, some of that uh, was due to how he was an unpre- unprecedented figure in American politics, and he spoke out his words um, in ways that were unimaginable unimaginable in many ways, but um, at the same time, he was successful in his economic policies. and um, After he was elected against Hillary Clinton in 2016, which was also quite a shock to many Democrats, but also the American public in general, he was able to uh, make uh, the American economy quite uh, flourishing um, for the first few years of his presidency. And this was largely based on his uh, pro business policies and his experience as a um, as someone who was in the industry, um, and who is still in the industry. And I think we can think about uh how that contributed to uh, people thinking that in 2020 he was going to be elected without a doubt but what we've seen in his presidency with that was that he met quite a big obstacle and that was the uh global pandemic and the COVID-19 pandemic in uh 2020 early 2020 um Donald J Trump and his political personality as you know I talked about earlier on uh it was he was quite uh, different. He was different from other political candidates and political figures. He was um, quite uh, rough with his words. He was quite uh, aggressive with his actions. But at the same time, it could it can also be seen as a behavior of uh, lack of acuteness and lack of um, uh, lack of mental sharpness in some of his decisions. Um, and instead of it being uh, for the good of the country. Uh, it was shown as uh, an act of arrogance, an act of um, misbehavior, and um, that happened especially during the global pandemic. That is one of the reasons why he lost in the 2020 election. But before that, uh, how he handled the global pandemic was quite um, flabbergasting, and he, uh, he contributed to the loss of many lives in america and uh, american can american uh, citizens had to go through that process uh, which made some of the uh, american citizens name him as one of the worst presidents in u.s history and in my personal opinion this is quite um, exaggerated Um, to some extent there are points where um, it can be seen that he is one of the worst presidents one of the worst single term presidents in u.s history but at the same time his uh, policies economic policies were successful and um, the uh, background behind it is much more complex but just looking at at um, from a simple point a simple uh, viewpoint i think we can see that his economic policies um, were successful even though he still argued for some of the craziest ideas um, ever seen in american politics such as um, you know, having a border across Mexico, and um, also pursuing uh, policies of isolationism. And um, some of the examples would be how he revoked NAFTA, and he changed the agreements in that uh, treaty, and how he also um, deregulated the American business. And um, I think this was, in fact, in some ways successful to the uh, American economy, but that at the same time, as some Democrats and uh, especially people like Joe Biden argue, it harmed the American manufacturing industry and allowed China and and other countries to emerge as uh, manufacturing global powers. And as I said, this contributed to how he lost the 2020 election. But then moving on to the 2020 election, this was where American American politics really reached its rock bottom, and um, this was because of the words Donald Trump said in his um, uh, in his hesitance and his in his um, unwillingness to concede to his opponent Joe Biden, and um, he also said some you know crazy things like uh, the voting booths were uh, they were rigged. Um, and, you know, recently there was the issue with Tucker Carlson and uh, Fox News. Uh, they had to go through a you know, historic defamation uh, suit against Dominion voting systems because of what Tucker, Tucker Carlson said during the twenty twenty election and um, what happened at that point. So um, those things really contributed to shaping Donald Trump and his legacy as a political um, candidate and figure currently in American politics. But at the same time, um, attacks on the Capitol because of the words he said and um, lives that could have been prevented um, from uh, being lost um, in the global pandemic was also lost because of what he said and the aggressive words he said, the um, uh, lack of, some at some points, lack of leadership he showed. And because of that, Joe Biden was elected and people had, big anticipations and big you know expectations for joe biden he was um, one of the experienced candidates in the political scene he's uh he was the vice president for the obama administration and um because of this there were a lot of um talks about him being a much better leader and how he could revive the american economy and american um prestige but that you know in some ways it did happen but from what we've seen um, in the global inflation crisis and how the u.s handled that issue um, after how they handled the issue of the global pandemic um, that was just horrendous and those two consecutive events and how the global inflation crisis uh, was not handled well um, in some ways it was because of the federal reserve and uh, Jerome Powell being the head of the or chair of the Federal Reserve instead of people like Ben Bernanke, who was uh, the Federal Reserve chair for the Obama administration during the global fin- financial crisis. And those differences contributed, but at, at the same time, Joe Biden and his uh, lack of leadership in these moments, and most famously his America rescue plan, uh, were one of the primary reasons why uh, the American prestige wasn't recovered even in joe biden's presidency now what we've seen after that is the upcoming 2024 uh, presidential election and that will be um, another important turning point in american politics seeing how republicans and democrats have constantly been divided in um, congress and the presidency and uh, recently there were issues of the debt ceiling and um, imf warning the u.s that if they don't agree on the debt ceiling if and if uh, they had to work with the default, uh, it would be a horrendous issue to the world economy. So I think we can see that from those events, uh, the 2024 election is going to be a major turning point in terms of how the U.S. political scene is going to advance towards the future. And um, looking at this, I would say that you know when I was preparing this issue, Biden uh, didn't, he hadn't um, announced his uh, re-election campaign, but at this point, he's already announced that, and he's going up against uh, Donald Trump, who will announce his campaign right after last year's midterm elections. So that's that, but um, to just briefly go over what I was going to talk about, Democratic Party's leadership um, is lacking, and um, it lacks quite a lot compared to uh, the Republican base, and the candidates they have for their presidency. And um, some of the candidates I would name here is obviously Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, Pete Buttigieg, Bernie Sanders, and past superstars like Michelle Obama, Hillary Clinton, Al Gore, and all that. But um, before Joe Biden announced his reelection campaign, talks I heard was about how past superstars like Michelle Obama, Hillary Clinton, and Al Gore had to, uh, maybe they had to step up again and they had to clinch the uh, Democratic presidency uh, nomination, uh, presidential nomination for the Democrats to at least have a chance. But now Joe Biden announced his presidency, um, and I think it's quite uh, obvious that Kamala Harris is once again going to be the candidate for vice president. And I expect that in future presidential elections or campaigns, she might also try running for the uh, Democratic Party's nomination. But that's another discussion. But uh, at this point, Joe Biden is running and he's going to run against Donald Trump. Um, we don't know if Donald Trump is going to be nominated for the Republican Party's can uh, presidential candidate nomination. But uh, we can see that, uh, we can expect, we can at least expect that that is um, a high possibility. And the reason why I can't say that Donald Trump is going to be elected in the Republican Party is because of Ron DeSantis. And Ron DeSantis has shown so much in his governments in Florida. And um, there were some controversial moves and um, he's still in the controversy regarding how he might be the next Trump and he might, you know, uh, enact policies like uh, Donald Trump in the ways Donald Trump uh, did and in the ways that Donald Trump handled the, uh, uh, the country. But Ron DeSantis and his governance in Florida, um, I would say, as a moderate, was Im- quite impressive, and that's because of how he handled the uh, global pandemic, how he handled um, how he handled hurricanes, and how he handled the uh, Flor- uh, Florida's economy as a whole. So um, in that process, we can think about uh, his fight against Disney. Uh, he re- revoked some charters. Um, uh, given to Disney for uh, the past few decades. And you know, Disney's been the traditional, uh, they've been the traditional corporate giant in Florida. But what DeSantis has done is um, he stepped up against that company and he's um, been arguing for his policy agenda, his uh, conservative policy agenda, which has been appealing to a lot of Republican voters who, uh, who've who been disgusted by uh, Donald Jane Trump's what he's done in the past, but um, because of those those reasons, Ron DeSantis has a legitimate chance in um, winning against Donald J Trump. But here's my uh, expectation. Here's what uh, here's my uh, thoughts on this. Um, and this is not this is not a factual thing. This is just uh, my expectations and what um, this is just my hi- hypothesis. I would say, but Ron DeSantis um, has great chance against Donald J. Trump. But because of the uh, indictment uh, situation he's been going through uh, and what uh, he does uh, practically in most situations regarding these controversial issues that he has to face against the media and the public, it's going to only benefit Donald Trump. And it's um, going to center the attention towards him. And this is because of how he's just naturally that kind of a figure. And before he was a political figure, he was kind of like a um, a uh, a celebrity, and he was uh, he was a successful and wealthy man. But at the same time, he was popular and um, liked by many people. So that's gonna happen in the same way um, to him this time. In my you know expectations. And this is going to hit Ron DeSantis hard, and Ron DeSantis um, is going to show a straightforward policy agenda. He's going to show his governance in Florida. He's going to, you know, argue of how he has more leadership and more, um, more of a traditional American, you know, political viewpoint um, towards what he has to do in the presidency. But that's not gonna affect. That's not going to affect Donald Trump's voters from. You know, voting him. It's still gonna vote him. I think uh, the issues around him are gonna attract more voters. In fact, uh, than what he had to go through. And um, one of the reasons why he lost in twenty twenty campaign was because he was the incumbent president. And uh, most incumbents usually have an advantage. But for Donald Trump and um, political candidates like him, who has who have personalities of you know aggressiveness and uh, arrogance. Um, In some views, uh, it's not beneficial for them to uh, be an incumbent um, because people are going to reflect on what he's uh, what that political candidate has been showing in that position. And um, that's not going to be for Donald Trump and, you know, the failures he has gone through. So I expect I still expect Donald Trump to win. But um, I do think that Ron DeSantis has a good chance on fighting him well. That might, you know, that might even help Joe, uh, Joe Biden on his re-election. But um, at the end of the day, that's another uh, discussion. So, um, And another thing that I want to talk about is uh, the culture wars. And the culture wars, um, it's one of the uh, most important issues in American politics right now. And uh, in com- contemporary American politics, um, the fight between the ide- ideological conflicts between liberal uh, liberalism and conservatism is, uh, is polarized in a way that we've never seen in American society. And um, that's been affecting a lot of other countries as well, um, even in countries like Europe, where uh, the far right is emerging right now, um, as we've seen with the uh, election with election of georgia maloney in um, italy and some of the other countries like germany and france where uh, far-right candidates are um, receiving all the attention all the likings of the public so that's an important issue and um, one of the figures that are in the center of this issue um, in american politics is alexandria ocasio-cortez i'm gonna call her aoc because obviously that's what Um, almost all the people call her, but AOC was first featured in a Netflix docu-series or documentary called the, um, knock down the house. And this received a lot of, um, a lot of attention. Um, this was adored by many people. And, um, I think it also received an award for, um, you know, what the kind of a, a story depicted of, um, AOC. And how she, you know, she graduated uh, from Boston University, and she had to um, work her way up through um, the political ladder to attract the public and show her, you know, sincerity in uh, her campaigns. But at the same time, AOC is um, quite a controversial figure um, in many ways, um, and uh, even when she won against Joe Crowley, who was someone who had been elected in her district for many, many years. Um, not everyone liked her, um, because of her ideologies and how she had a semi-socialist, um, preference or, uh, bias, I would say. And, um, for example, she argues for Medicare for all. She har- argues for a universal healthcare system and Obamacare. I'm not saying these are problems, um, but the way she approaches these issues and how she argues for... Um, She, uh, you know, says statements that are quite uh, erratic. I think that's the reason why many uh, consider her as quite a dangerous figure in American politics. But people like um, AOC and uh, political figures like her and um, liberals, you know, the so-called liberals, are going up against figures like Ron DeSantis. And because of this, um, this has not only affected the American political system, but at the same time, it's affecting the morale and the uh, feelings of American citizens toward each other. And um, polarization um, has been one of the biggest issues in American politics and society um, in modern day. And um, although we've seen some major issues in the past regarding uh, the rise of feminism, the uh, fight for the civil rights of African Americans, and many other issues that have been that have contri- contributed to uh, the growth of America. At the same time this is an issue that's been handled um, in a way that caused um, political polarization and uh, the things that AOC argues for, um, for example, the Green New Deal, the uh, Democratic Socialists of America, she's a part of that coalition, um, and also the modern monetary theory. Things like that are causing even more uh, radical ideas to emerge, um, not only in political figures, but in ordinary citizens and their minds. And this is one of the reasons why American democracy is currently facing a major debacle Um East, especially after the 2020 um capital raid and um, as i said the defamation suit of fox news and uh, misinformation that we've seen but um that affected the 2016 presidential election where um you know donald trump uh rose in uh, dominance um and some issues that i could think of at this point are um hashtag me too the me too movement or um, Donald Trump's campaign of make America great again. Those are um, epitomes of um, the polarization that the US is facing. And um, another issue I would say uh, is Donald Trump and how he um, is still going through. And this happened in 2016, but this discussion is still going um, is still you know ongoing in American politics. But what that is, is um, the Mueller report and um, Russian interference in the 2016 election. As we know, um, the reason why Hillary Clinton lost in 2016 was because of WikiLe- WikiLeaks. Well, that's the hard pronunciation, but uh, WikiLeaks and um, her handling of her personal email um, when she was, uh, she was conducting endeavors of um, the American executive branch. And those issues um, made Hillary Clinton lose devastatingly in the election. And at the same time, it caused uh, some of the events that we, um, we would experience after a few years into Donald Trump's presidency. But anyway, the point is uh, the Mueller report and Russia interference in that issue and how uh, Donald Trump handled that issue from the start of his presidency um, regarding how he uh, fired FBI director James Comey. Um, And, you know, the words he said and the targets he set against uh, Democrats, those issues are uh, some of the those issues have uh, made me apprehensive of American politics because of how it can can cause so much misinformation and the uh, prevalence of uh, facts that aren't true that aren't necessarily true and aren't necessarily, um, supported by any evidence. Um, and in some ways, uh, this is because of, uh, the rise of social media and, um, one of the main social media platforms these days, I would say is TikTok. Um, it was Facebook back then, uh, Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg had to face a lot of, you know, congressional hearings and a lot of criticisms towards, um, his handling of, Uh, the company and the platform but it's it's been continuing and this time it's just a different platform tiktok but uh tiktok and their ceo also was president in one of the recent congressional hearings um and those issues are still continuing to contribute to american polarization and um that that's just a brief summary of what's been going on in american politics But um, I think we can connect that to the next topic I have, next subtopic I have, which is uh, American world leadership. And as you may already know, America uh, and the United States, um, they've remained in power in in world leadership um, uh, for more than half a century um, after World War II and uh, um, and the institutions set after World War II, including the World Bank, the United Nations. And all of these other um, you know, advantages that the U.S. has and had in the past, um, they've contributed to allowing the U.S. to stay in power. But an important issue would be um, how the U.S. is maintaining that power, and how many other world citizens are uh, disappointed uh, recently by um, American leadership. And um, I think an example of uh, people being disappointed can be shown by how they are calling the U.S. and their actions in modern society, um, modern imperialism or imperialism 2.0 or whatever it is. Um, they've been, um, sarcastically uh, mocking American politics, American leadership. And to some extent, there are viable reasons for why, uh, people are doubting U S politics and U S leadership. Um, it's because of how, uh, they lacked, um, acuteness in their policies. Um, But at the same time, they've been facing um, great competition by other countries. And Russia has been um, a traditional competitor of the U.S. since the start of the Cold War. But um, I think the main competitor, as we know, um, is China. And China was, um, since their, you know, I don't know if this is the right expression, but um, since their golden ages in the uh, 19th century, the 17th century, the, you know, from way back, they've, they haven't been in power. Um, and the things they had to go through, especially in World War Two, and um, the years after that, and how uh, there were a lot of uh, political unrest inside the country, as we've seen through the Tiananmen Square massacre, and the uh, change of leadership. Um, those were the reasons why China, despite its advantage of a mass population, couldn't emerge as a world superpower. But right now, what we're seeing after the uh, global financial crisis and what uh, China has been uh, accomplishing through the years, especially in Xi Jinping's uh, regime, is that they've grown so much in its economy that uh, they've obviously um, overreached the economy of Japan. They're now going towards the U.S. and no other company, uh, no no other country in the world in in history has uh, been closer to uh, overtaking the leadership against the uh, the United States. Um, and that's because the U.S. Uh, took leadership only about a half a century ago. But uh, also, it's because of how the U.S. is one of the strongest powers we've seen. Uh, we've ever seen in world history. Um, but China is currently um, on its way to overtake that leadership. And um, what they've been doing is that they've been applying free market practices. And this this has been done uh, by Xi Jinping. Um, he was, I believe he was, uh, uh, he reached his power and he reached his position in 2014 and around that when the uh, GFC was almost reaching its end. But... Um, Xi Jinping has been one of the people who uh, revived China's economy and who uh, was able to face that crisis in uh, a much better than a much better way than other countries like like the U S. and I still have to give credit to Obama and his administration, um, and I think in some ways um, we can give credit to Ben Bernanke who was um, again uh, the chair of the Federal Reserve. But the Obama administration did their best in those years, but they could have been better. And uh, what they could have done was already done by China in those years. That's one of the reasons why uh, they've been reaching the level of the U.S. and its economy. And they've been um, trying to overtake um, major industry like the semiconductor industry and the microchip industry. And the U.S. has been retaliating. Um, and, um, the reason why the U S had to face such a low point is because of Donald J. Trump's presidency. And I am not, um, discrediting Donald J. Trump and his, um, accomplishments, economic accomplishments, but in terms of what he's, um, the policies he's, uh, enacted through his presidency, including how he, um, pursued isolationism and how he, um, uh, revoked all the free trade agreements and the um, policies of globalization. And I think that contributed to the US kind of lacking in uh, ability against China. And on the other hand, Joe Biden has been trying so hard to recover this, which I think hasn't been as successful as many thought it would be. And um, I wouldn't say it's a failure, but it's still been quite disappointing in some ways. Um, his enactment of Uh, the Inflation Reduction Act, or the IRA, or the Chips and Science Act, which has provided $280 billion for microchip manufacturing. I think those have been um, quite disappointing, at the least. Um, And those are the reasons why China is viewed as a potential uh, world leader. But um, as many still expect, and as many still claim, the U.S. still will remain their power and their dominance Um, for at least I would say, um, 15 more years and that's minimum I would say, said, And, um, that may be controversial and that may be not true or not, uh, not not the result at the end, but, um, there is quite um, a reason to suspect that considering how, uh, the money they spend on their military, the economy they've been, they've been making over the years and how it's not going to fall in just a few years. um. And uh, at the same time, the reason why China might not be able to overtake American power is because of its internal division. And uh, one of the major divisions, I would say, um, is ethnic groups and the various ethnic groups that reside inside of China and how they are uh, in control of some of the major territories that China has, which I think uh, includes, you know, major waterways, major uh, trade centers, major... um, uh, regions with uh, resources and all that. And I think those are the reasons why, you know, China is going to struggle in its way to overtaking the U.S.'s power. But again, they have um, so much ways they can tackle that issue and um, so many uh, methods they can um, use to solve this issue. So um, I think they're going to be fine with that. But um, an interesting study I saw or an interesting article I saw, I think it talked about how um, China is not going to be able to overtake U.S. and their leadership because of the language they use. And Chinese compared to English um, is quite a hard language. I have never learned Chinese, um, but it's definitely it definitely seems harder um, in the sense that um, the letters and the uh, communication methods are much more complicated, and how uh, English is just uh, so much of a globalized language, um, it's going to take years for Chinese to be implemented to many countries for it to be um, prevalent as uh, much as English. So, I think that study was quite interesting, and you know, in some ways, it's a it's, uh, it's viable reasons for why uh, china may not be able to overtake the leadership but anyway that was one of the examples and another um, another thing was how uh, china and their way of um, political control in the country was not going to be adequate for um, being globalized and i'm obviously talking about um, communism um, and how uh, China over the years has been in leadership with communism instead of any other ideology, um, including capitalism. Um, they've been uh, inseparable with uh, Russia. Uh, that's one of the reasons why uh, Russia's invasion in Ukraine is going to be compared with uh, China's efforts to invade Taiwan as well. And um, in recent news, they've reported that China may be preparing for an invasion in Around 2024 or 5, and um, this is also because how they're not able to secure their waterways and their um, some of the advantages that they need to uh, reach out to other countries and have that power the US has. And um, as many books discuss, and as you know, books like um, I don't know, Why Nations Fail discusses uh, by which is a book by Darren Asimoglu. america has such an advantage in is uh geography and where it's located um and how the atlantic is on one side and the pacific is on the other side so um it's virtually impossible for a country to invade uh the u.s's mainland so those are some interesting points um and how China has been facing those issues in the past and how they will face those issues in the past in the future. Um, I think those are legitimate claims that could um, you know make sense of why China is going to fail. but um, another interesting thing um, I just want to go over this briefly because we have some more information to talk about but another interesting article I saw was how um, the tracking technology of China, has already overtaken the us and i think this is just one of the points where um china has overtaken us because they've invested much more in the area than the us but um this tracking technology is about um tracking each individual and um making sure that they're doing uh actions that the government agrees to and the government would allow and they're you know so that the government could also track them and locate them if they, you know, need to uh, know their location and what they're doing. And this is quite scary, I would think. Um, This is what, you know, what happens mostly in communism, communist countries. Um, And um, I think this is a famous example, but uh, George Orwell's 1984 and, you know, the big brother in that book is quite similar to this issue and i wouldn't say uh, i wouldn't encourage uh, anyone to not go on TikTok. but um i also heard that if you've been on TikTok um even once in your life you're going to be tracked um the chinese government is going to be able to track you so um if you're scared of that don't go to china but uh if you're fine with that um feel free to travel to china um That's uh, just no advertisement or anything. But um, yeah, anyway, that was an interesting article and uh, some of the points about Chinese leadership and how they may overtake the U.S. someday. And next topic I think I can talk about um, lastly is once again um, to end this uh, podcast, I think it would be Trump and um, the MAGA forces um and uh, trump's uh, political campaign has always been centered around make america great again and i think he's going to use that again this time because uh uh, he's going to you know point out some failures of the uh biden administration and he's going to potentially use that as a way of um, you know lighting his campaign more about how he's going to make america great again um but Uh, his campaign is always centered around isolationism. And for those of you who may not be aware of uh, this ideology, isolationism is a political ideology where, uh, you know, you believe that a country should be um, isolated in international relations, international um, trade or economy or whatever it is, because they believe that um, it's more beneficial for the country itself to operate it only inside the country instead of interacting with other countries and um you know having to intervene like the u.s has done in the past um and i think some some of the most important examples would be their intervention in the middle east um and uh, trump ended some of the interventions but Bi- uh, obama ended some of the international inter- interventions biden is also ending some of the intervention for example he uh ended the American intervention in Afghanistan uh, as well but isolation has been isolationism has been um em- has been emerging from those interventions because a lot of people believe that it's not worth it to intervene in such areas and if the US starts to intervene in those kind of areas they're going to have to intervene in literally everywhere around the world so uh, that's the main point about isolationism. Uh, another thing thing about isolationism is that they um, are heavily against uh, immigrants. And that's one of the reasons why Republicans are making illegal immigrants go back to their uh, original, original homelands or countries. Um, and um, that's the reason why a lot of Republican voters are also associated with um, the uh, uh, opposition against immigrants. But that's a part of isolationism and what Trumps have been arguing. And I think um, it's not common for people to point out that uh, Trump's policies are a form of isolationism, but I would still argue it's a form of that ideology because of how how it's been you know formed and how it's been enacted. And we can't doubt the fact that, Um, it still uh, goes into isolationism even though the U.S. abandoned this ideology after the the two world wars they had to face but at the end of the day people were being attracted by such a ideology because of the U.S. failures and by the U.S. failures I'm you know I'm trying to say I'm trying to talk about the uh, failures they have uh, faced economically Um, they faced uh, economic bubbles like the housing market bubble and the dot com bubble and uh, the global financial crisis starting from two thousand eight and the Lehman Brothers crash, um, but you know those examples have uh, caused fear in the minds of many Americans. And that's the reason why Trump's been so attractive and why Hillary Clinton, at the end of the day, lost. Um, and we've seen that also from his policies regarding other issues outside of the. Um, outside of economic and political issues, um, which includes environmental issues, um, Trump famously exited, um, made the U.S. exit from is its uh, uh, agreement and uh, commitment in the Paris Agreement in two thousand fifteen done by Barack Obama, and um, he's also uh, deregulated uh, the business in, business uh, sectors of the U.S. Um, allowing. You know, constant environmental uh, hazards without any control. Control. So um, I think those are quite um, justifiable reasons of uh, why people would support uh, the Republican Party um, in terms of how they have a lot of fear towards such big um, and worldwide economic failures. But um, also, at the same time, things they uh, Trump's uh, been arguing is. Um, things like building a wall across Mexico. And although he hasn't, you know, claimed this publicly, um, in his presidency, the relationship with Western uh, capitalist um, countries in the U.S. has deteriorated to a point uh, we've never seen since the two world wars that the U.S. Uh, participated in And um, in some ways, as I said, it's still attracting Republican voters. But at the same time, Uh, It's cutting off ties of the U.S. with other nations. And um, uh, Trump's aggressiveness has also uh, stirred a lot of uh, polarization and um, the anger of a lot of groups. But we can't really decide on whether um, this is his fault that the things that have happened are, you know, solely his fault, Um, except for, you know, some, some of the most... Um, excruciating examples such as the capital raid and you know some other things. But regarding the uh, emergence of Putin, um, China and how uh, they've been challenging their uh, you know bordering countries and how they've been um, unjustifiably invading them, we can't solely contribute that to Donald J Trump And we also have to think about uh, the US and the domestic chaos. Um, in terms of polarization, economic polarization, and political polarization, and how because of those issues that the U.S. um, had to uh, control, uh, other countries had the chance to emerge, and they had that uh, little bit of room to go up up against the U.S. So I think um, that's one of the issues that we should think about, and I think that can be our ending note here um, for this podcast. Um, I hope, uh, this discussion or this podcast was, uh, informative. I, uh, I hope it was productive and I hope it was, uh, meaningful for your time. But anyway, that is the end of my podcast. Um, we'll be here again next week and we'll probably have a guest, but anyway, that is the end. Thank you for listening. And this was the Robinson reviews, the crucial podcast. Thank you.